Today's share is uh, sponsored the Sarabas Estefega. Okay. Um, as follows. We'll start like this. In uh, sh- what did say? In the news last week. No. In the news in 1928, there was a, a get together of students who were anti-Semitic. They were fascists. They were probably socialist, communists. They got together in the town of Grosvedan, which was one of the larger cities, larger Jewish communities in Romania between the two world wars. And in 1928, they had a big conference with hundreds of students and maybe thousands of students. And at the end of the conference, in like a bout of inspiration, they, they rampaged through the city of Grosvedan and they collected 60 Sifrei terror from all the different shuls that they could find. And they burnt them in the streets and they used them to create flags and they used them to make shoes. And it was a, a great bazillion for the Sifritari of Grosvedan. From there, they continued on to the town of Kleisenberg. And from there to another town, another town. And <clears throat> they repeated this rampage through several towns in Romania. Now, the people, the Rabbanim, the, the Kehilis, were obviously uh, shook. And it became a big discussion what to do about this, this terrible thing that happened. The Sifritari were burnt. Now, I think everyone has this thing in their head. We all know kind of that if... Uh, since you're a kid, you've heard this. If a Sefer falls, everyone has to fast. Everyone in the shul has to fast. Everyone in the sword has to fast. Maybe everyone from the kehila has to fast. There's a lot of different nuschayas of who exactly has to fast and what has to fast. But, <clears throat> but the makairis for these exact prescribed fasts that happen when a Sefer falls or is damaged or burnt are very hard to come by. They're few and far in between. So the Rabbanim of the time in 1928... There's many different kisfeyes where Rabbanim submitted different um, you know, letters trying to establish the protocol of what should happen and, and the chulu. Uh, later on, the Tzitzli in, in 1956, after a terrorist attack in Eretz Yisrael that also saw several Sefer burnt, he again, he publishes a contrast in the beginning of Chelik in Tzitzli he publishes a contrast called Shali Zufa Be'ish, which is about the Makairis and the sources for fasting and for uh, whatever else might be included when a Sefer gets damaged or burnt and Etc. Now, the, the just by way, by way of background, and this is just to, to get this out of the way, by way of background, there's a Gemara Mwayed Katam that says as follows. It's a, it's a very interesting Gemara. The Gemara says as follows. The Gemara talks about the, the um, Megillus Eicha from, Yirmi, from Yirmiyo. Megillus Eicha was written by Yirmiyo, and it was brought in front of the Melech Yoyakim, and it was read in front of him, and ultimately he burns it. Now, the, it goes as follows. They brought, the, the Gemara wants to know, there's a din, the Mishnah in Mwayed Katam, the Chavdalad says, that a Sefer Shenikra has a din of Kriya. If a Sefer gets burnt, a person has to rip his clothing. So the Gemara says, where do you know this din, that Sefer Shenikra, this din of Kriya? So the Gemara says as follows. It says, the Pasuk says in Yirmiyo, they, they read for Yehiyakim from the, from the Megillah, and it says as follows. They told Amrulei Lehiyakim. They told Yehiyakim, Kasiv Yirmiyo Sefer Kinnis. Yirmiyo wrote a Sefer of Kinnis, predicting the demise of, of your kingdom, of, of Eretz Yisrael. Amrulei Maksiv Bey. What does it say in there? So they started reading. They said it says, So it says, uh, How does she sit all alone? Yerushalayim sits desolate. To which Yehiyakim's rejoinder is, But it doesn't say anywhere in Yashvada that I'm not the king still. Binachal's the king. Okay, not a problem. They told him, Yermio said, She's going to cry at night. Klaus was going to cry at night. I'm still the king, right? So there's nothing to worry about. Galsu Yehuda Meyoni, Klai Yisrael is going to be in Galus, you know, in, in, in total destitute. Anamalka, I'm still the king. Darkei and Avelis, Anamalka, I'm still the king. Then, then they got to the Pasuk that says, Hayut Sarel Reish, 
the Hayyuts are Elorish, even the Russian, even the heads are going to be, you know, uh, made, made little and made small by this terrible thing that's going to happen to Yushalayim. So he suddenly, Yakim pops up his head, he says, Amalei man Amra, who's the Mechaber of this, uh, this Kina? And he has it burnt, and Yermio chased out of Eretz Yisrael. So Stamazay, there's a, there's a great, uh, you know, insight into human nature. My father always likes to say, when, when uh, you hear a tragedy or something, you always look for like a reason, uh, but this, but that. You, ne- you never want to allow it to be internalized. Like, oh, like a kataka applied to me also. Yehoyakim showed like a great insight into human nature. Like as long as it didn't touch his, uh, his caviar, he was fine. I'm still king. But once it, once it penetrates, so then Yehoyakim gets enraged and he burns the Sefer Torah. He burns the Megil Sefer And says the Gemara, that the din was that they, that it says the, the people who were standing around ripped their clothing because the Sefer Torah was ripped. So from here's the Makar that when the Sefer Torah is ripped or damaged, that there's a chi of kriya. Now, how to get from a chi of kriya to a chi of fasting, that's something that's a little bit unknown. And in, in these contrasim that were published after different tragedies, everyone tries to, to source it. It's not brought down in Shulchan Aruch or the Ramah, obviously. It's later than that, that this official uh, minig, you know, becomes mamish kavua. And where the source is, is a little bit unclear. Now, a possible potential source, and this is what it has to do with today's topic, is as follows. The, the Shulchan Aruch and Simen Tafkov Pei, and we've mentioned this before, talks about all the extra prescribed tanesim, tanesim that are called tanes tzadikim, tanesim that are not for everyone, that are not, you know, that there are additional tanias that are added for different tragedies and events that happen to Akali Yisrael's history. Now, in the end of the simon, in Sif Gimel, the Mechaber says as follows, Yesh mishaimer, shagazru shiyimisanim b'chol sheni v'chamishi, that there are those who say that there was a gzera, that people should fast every sheni v'chamishi, al chorben habayis, because of the chorben habayis, ve'al ha-tayra shenisrefa, and because of the Torah that was burnt, that was destroyed. And Lasid Lava, he says the Mechaber, Now, what the Mechaber is quoting, it really, the Goyen says, it comes from Mesechtas, uh, uh, it comes really, it's two places. In the end of Mesechtas Seifrim and in the end of Megillus Tainus. It's brought down with two different Gersayas. The Goyen makes the Gersashtim, which is a piece for itself. That seems to be the source that because of Atayrish and Nisrafa, the Torah that was burnt, during the Tkuf of the Chorban is a reason to justify having a fast every Monday, Thursday, and Monday for all time, for, you know, for the rest of Gullus. So you see over here the first time a fast is employed as a, as a remedy for the Torah being burnt. Now, okay, granted this is much more severe than any individual Sefer Torah being burnt. This refers to the, the way that Rizal says it, to the Torah being dispersed into Gullus and the Torah itself losing some of its shine, meaning the Torah being not something that Klai Yisrael could really be Makasha themselves to, which is granted a much, much more severe Srefa Satayra than just the Srefa Satayra that we're talking about. But herein lies the kernel that Srefa Satayra is like a source for, for a tainus. Now on this brings the Magan Avram, and this is why it's seasonal. The Magan Avram brings his follows. He brings from the Sefer Tanya Rabasi, which is a Talmud of the Maram which says as follows. Kasevat Tanya. B'yoyim HaShishi, on the sixth day of the week of Parshas Chukas, which is going to be this upcoming Thursday. Nagu Yechidim Lesanis. There's a minigba Yechidim to fast. On that day, Nisrfu, in the version that he brings, is Nisrfu Chaf Kronos Malayim Svarim B'Tzarfas. Twenty wagons full of Svarim, not Sefer Torah, twenty wagons full of Svarim were burnt in France on that day, and they were gazed to make a fast. Now, the Tanya Rabasi addresses the obvious question. He says, almost everything that's on the Jewish calendar is connected to a date, not to a day. Vav Parshas Chukas is a day, not a date. It should be the day was Chaf Tamus, let it be Chaf Tamus. Well, why is it the day of the week? That's, that's an odd way to be Kaveh Atainas. He says, They asked in a dream, What caused this? 
it was revealed to them that the Xerah, that the reason what caused it was the date. Because what they re- was revealed to them in the dream, it said as follows, Zeus Chukas HaTayra, B'targamin and Dog Xerah So it had to do with Parshas Chukas. It had to do with the Parsha of the week and not the date. So therefore they would convey it forever on Yoim Vav the Parshas Chukas. Now this is a fast that was in somewhat use until the Holocaust. I think today it's come out unheard of to, for that someone would fast on Vav Parshas Chukas. But this is a fast that the Magen Avram feels fit to bring, to bring in light of the din that the Shulchan Aruch says that on Sarefa Satera there's a fast, brings the Magen Avram that there's a Tanya Rabasi and it's brought down in the Shibali Alekhet like this as well, that there's a fast on, on Yoim Vav Parshas Chukas, which is about Sarefa Satera. So now I want to talk about A, the fast of Yoim Vav Chukas, and B, the Indian of Sarefa Satera in the first place. So now, as follows, let's just give the, the background of what the Tanya Rabasi is referring to. So now, the, the Balei Ataisvis in the, in the 1100s and 1200s, Rashi's you know, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and, and, from there, and from there on, lived in Germany and France. That's primarily where they lived. They shared, a lot of them used to travel back and forth from the yeshivas of one to the other to learn by each other. Now, the, the, probably the Gadol Hadar, but certainly the leader of the, of, of the Baliatesis, the school of the Baliatesis in that time, in the early 1200s, was Rabbi Chilmi Paris. Rabbi Chilmi Paris is a Talmud, uh, Talmidei Talmidim of Rabbi Tam. Uh, contemporary, you know, overlaps with the Rebbeinatam. Rabbi Chilmi Pariz is, is the Gadla Dar of the, the school of the Balei Ataisis. Now he had a Talmud who becomes a Meshumid. A Talmud of his who goes with the Derech and becomes a terrible Meshumid. The Talmud's name was uh, Nicholas Danin of New Rochelle, the original New Rochelle in France. Nicholas Danin of New Rochelle. And he um, makes a big push to have Jews converted, to have Jews baptized by force. And in the town of New Rochelle, where, he's, where he was you know, influential, he had 500 Jews baptized by force. He had several Jews killed. Nicholas Danin was a, was a, a terrible Russia, a terrible Mashumid. Now, in, uh, in, the, in the 1230s, he sends a letter to Pope Gregory IX, who's the Roman Catholic Pope at the time, with uh, like a charging document with 35 tainas on the Gemara. 35 different tainas about how the Gemara is anti, A, anti-Christianity, B, you know, uh, anti-Gayim Bechlal, and he sends a 35-page charging document to, to Pope Gregory to show him what the Talmud is all about. Now, Pope Gregory, I don't think, needed much convincing to be inflamed by, by Nicholas Donnan's uh, charging statements, and he sends out a papal bull, like a, 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 a letter to all the different kingdoms that are mishtayach to the Roman Catholic Church, where he says, like, you know, do something about this. If you have Jews and you have Talmuds that are within your domain, you got to do something to fix this because cause look what the Talmud is full of. Now, the only king from the kings who was under his domain who took this to heart was Louis IX, who was the king of France at the time. And Louis IX on Shabbos in either 1240 or 1242 or 1244, depending on which gear you go with, had his soldiers burst into the shuls of Paris on a Shabbos afternoon and gather up, not the Sifrei Torah, they left the Sifrei Torah because in Nicholas Danin's polemic, it said nothing against what it says in the Torah. Torah Shabbat he had no problem with. They gathered up every Sefer they could find. His problem was with Torah Shabbat His problem was with Svarim, with the Talmud. Gathered up every Sefer they could, they could find, which depending on either the, 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 the Tanya Rabasi's count was 20 wagons full, the Shibali Aleket's count was 24 wagons full, which was an immense amount of Svarim. When Svarim wanted to be written by hand and had to be copied one from the other, that was a, an immense amount of Svarim to collect from Paris. He, he drained all the yeshivas of the Baliatesis that were in Paris and brought them to his palace. He then summons Abichilmi Paris to have a debate with Nicholas Danin to defend the Talmud. He gives him an opportunity to defend the Talmud. You can prove if it's right or it's wrong. Um, the, the debate happens on... 
June something in 1242, let's say, June, I think, 13th in 1242, where Michil Paris, together with his son-in-law in town with the Ritzlik of Kubril, and uh, one of his contemporaries, the Sarmi Kutsi, the Mahabra, the Smak, some of the very famous Baliyatesvis, not obscure Baliyatesvis, go to, to debate with Nicholas Donin and the Chavraya of Dominican monks about the veracity of the Talmud. If the Talmud is okay or, or bad. Now, obviously, it was, a, it was a, a debate where the answer was set before the debate started. There was nothing really to debate. And over a period of two days, they debated back and forth. And, and many of the conversation we actually have preserved today, A, because either Rabbi Chil, Rabbi Chil himself or uh, Rabbi Shleim ben Avram, uh, a Talmud of his who was part of the debate team, one of them preserved the debate, like the Charuzim, it's in a few pages, like in rhymes, and it's, it's sad and beautiful at the same time, wrote it over for us, and even though it wasn't published until hundreds of years later, today we have it, it's in the Yitzhak Vikuchim from, from J.D. Eisenstein. Uh, also, the Dominicans published it themselves in the early 1600s, they published the minutes of the debate, and it's, it's pretty similar. And the debate went on for two days, and at the end of the debate, it was Gepaskin that the Talmud had to be burnt in, uh, in Paris, no Talmuds were going to be allowed in Paris, and the famous time that it was burnt was Vav Parshas Chukas in the year of either 1240, 1242, until the early 1300s, when the kings kicked Jews out of France completely, every several years, the Talmud was burnt in different, in different cities in, in, in France, in Paris, in different cities in France. Now, now um, so there's two very famous reactions to this burning of the Talmud. The, the first one is, let's, the first one is, is less muchach, but one of the contemporaries at the time writes that, that uh, in light of the, the burning of the Rambam's Mary of Ucham in Hilchus Deis, which happened you know, maybe only 10 years before that, Hashem saw fit that as an Ayanish V'Klai Yisrael, if you're going to burn Svarim, then your Svarim will be burnt. Now, it's, it's slightly unlikely because the, I mean, how do I know? I, I was going to say, it's slightly unlikely because the Baliyatesis who lived in Paris were not involved in the burning of the Rambam's Ksav Mechlal. It was a different school of, of Rishonim. The Baliyatesis in Paris, actually, some of them were great defenders of the Rambam, but I realize as I'm saying that for me to even try to calculate what HaKadosh Baruch Hu's could or couldn't have been is silly, so I'll just repeat it that it's Kizakt. It is said that, that uh, you know, in light of the burning of the Rambam, the burning of the Talmud, whether or not it, you know, makes sense, like that they're responsible for them, I don't know, I don't know how this works anyhow, so fine. That, that is what it is. Now, uh, a second famous response is the kinna that we say every year on Tisha B'Av. It's kinna Memalef, Shali Sufa Be'ish. It's written by the Marami Rotenberg who was a 20-year-old Talmud of Rabbi Chilmi Pariz at the time of the Sreifa. He was learning in Paris by Rabbi Chilmi Pariz. It's likely that he witnessed uh, some of these events with his own eyes. And he writes a, a heart-wrenching kina that we say every summer. Uh, it's, it's in Nusach Ashkenaz, the way we say it, it's, um, it's kina memalef. And it's Shali Srufa Be'esh. And he refers to the Torah the Torah is referred to as Srufa Be'esh, she who was burnt by, consumed by fire, which is a, interestingly in, in, in the school, in the world of Piyot, is a bit of a Chiddush, and I'll tell you why, because Torah is a feminine word, Torah is a Lashon Nekeva, the word Torah, but Talmud, which is referred to Torah Shabbat, Torah Shabbat, Talmud is a masculine word, it's a Lashon Zachar, 
Now, normally, when piyutim are written describing the Talmud, the Teresh Peh, they're written in, in Lashon Zachar, not in Lashon Nekeva. Rami Rutenberg is Chiddush, you could call it in Piyat, to refer to the Teresh Sav, to the Teresh Peh, in a feminine language. Shali Srufa Be'esh, she who is consumed by fire, which is a feminine way of referring, referring to the Torah. And there are those who say, now, you can take it or leave it, there are those who say that Hayois, the attack of Nicholas Danin was on Teresh Peh. He never... When they came to the shul, they didn't take the Sifrei Torah. Teresh Sav, no problem, have that, that's good. Teresh Peh was the attack. Then Rami Rutenberg wanted to convey in his piyot that by uns, it's all one thing. By us, Teresh Sav, Teresh Peh is all Hasrufa Be'esh. It's the Torah Hasrufa Be'esh, it's all the same. And to convey that, he Bedafka used Lashen Nekeva when he described the, the Teresh Peh. Maybe. Now, B'chalaifin, it's a, it's a piyot that, that endured for a long time, for hundreds and hundreds of years. And it's a piyot that, that you know, reveals the pain and the suffering of the French Jewry in light of the Sreifa Satayra. Now, all I'm describing over here is how consequential and monumental Sreifa Satayra was in Klaiso's history and how it leaves such a, leaving, you know, a lasting impact of fast days and kinnis and etc. And, and uh, it's, a, it's a big deal. So now, in light of that, I want to move on a few different shilas of Jews burning Torah themselves, which once we framed it by showing the Chimra Advarim and how consequential it is in our history and even in some dina that made it to Shulchan Aruch, I want to I <laughs> frame it and, and now show, showcase a few chuvas, interesting chuvas about burning Torah on your, burn, Jews burning Torah on their own. Now there's a, a famous, semi-famous fight between two mechutanim, two gracious tamidachamim, two mechutanim, two famous meishivim. In the, in the 1700s about this topic. The, the Shuvas Yaakov is a famous Shuvah Sefer and the Knesset Sichaskel is a slightly less famous Shuvah Sefer but they were Mechutanim and they write back and forth to each other on this topic. Now, what, what they bring is as follows. The, the Shuvas Yaakov was posed to Shailah in, uh, in Tav Pei Gimel which is uh, 1733, early 1700s. 1733, the Yaakov is posed to Shailah about a community who lives clearly in a ghetto <laughs> and does not have enough space for their Seamus. There's nowhere to store it. And what's happening is the Seamus is being left all over in the corner of the shul there was a pile of Seamus and the side of the street there was a pile of Seamus. It ends up blowing around. It ends up uh, disappearing. It ends up getting damaged. And worst of all, what he describes, what ends up happening is, is that um, toilet paper was in short supply, short, it was, you know, it was in high demand, like uh, Corona days. And Goyim, passing Goyim, would see a book, you know, lying there in the corner of the floor, a ripped up book, it makes a perfect roll of toilet paper and they take it home with them. And that would be the end of the Sefer. And the Shaila presented to the, to the Shavas Yaakov is what's to do to remedy this you know, terrible Shema situation. To which the, the Shavas Yaakov suggests, and he says as follows, he thinks that in such a situation it would be permitted for the Yidden to burn their Shemus. He said, instead of piling it up and planning on burying it and there's no room and there's no time and it never happens and, and it ends up getting disused and embarrassed and fashemt, he says, just burn the Seamus. Like that, you have a, you have a solution which is not a bazillion. You, hear, you, hear that? You, have, you burn the Seamus, which is not a bazillion, because Chachi preventing it from falling into, into people's hands that it shouldn't and doing things that they shouldn't do with it. So just take it and make a Madura every year and we'll burn our own Seamus and that's it. And then you solve the problem. Now, the Shosyaka brings some riots to this conclusion. It, what, what he wants to say is, um, we, we spoke about this once before, Shaul HaMelech, before he, when he sees that he's going to fall into the hands of the plishtim and he's going to be you know, killed in battle and he's worried that they're going to, they're going to torture him or be mavaz his body, 
he asks his servant boy, he says, take out my sword and stab me, kill me, so that I don't fall into the hands of the Plishtim. And he says, Shaul, allowed him, Shaul kills himself. Shaul commits suicide to prevent him from falling into the hands of the Plishtim, etc. He says, so you see that if you're worried that if you don't kill yourself or you don't do the act yourself, you're going to fall into the hands of something worse or something more damaging, then you're allowed to do it by yourself and you don't have to wait for it to happen in a more damaging way. Says the Shavos Yaakov, this is a raya, that if a person's concerned that the Shemus is going to fall into the hands of Goyim or going to be mevazid in a worse way, burn it yourself so that it shouldn't, it's doing with the Shalom Elach committing suicide. Burn it yourself so that it doesn't fall into the hands of, of Goyim or going to be mevazid further. Now, clearly, there's, there's some distinctions here. Others, the Chassad Lavram asks that, it's an interesting way to ask it, the Chassad Lavram asks that by, by, by erasing Hashem's name, the Pasuk says, you shouldn't do it to Hashem Lekecha. Don't erase Hashem's name. The Gemara and Shabbos makes a diak from Lesasen Kain Hashem Lekecha. Asiya is Asr, but Grama is Mutter. You're not allowed to actually erase Hashem's name, but the cause of the Grama is Mutter. So says the Chesed Avram, there's a clear distinction to be had between suicide, where killing someone by Grama is Asr too, and you have a, and, and Shal, you know, uh, and Shal did it, to Sreyfa Satayra, where if you cause it to get burnt, you're not even being over an Isr. So he says, if you just leave it and someone else is mavazik, you're not even being over the sasin ken l'ashem As opposed to when you burn it b'yadayim, you're being over the sasin ken l'ashem One's no iser and one's an iser chamer. It's, 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 it's not a good sushtel. The, the Shusyakiv brings, you know, more rise to this effect that are they burning it, you prevent it from falling into the guy's hands and, and that's allowed. He says, he brings... Kavachem from? If you do the suicides, you know, So the Shusyakiv says that in his third shuva, he says that. He calls it a Kavachem. He learns from Shal, he calls it a Kavachemer. The, the, what he, his problem is that he has a Beresheva that came before him where the Beresheva brings already Paiskim who handled burning the Shemus and the Beresheva says Shrek looked terrible and brings rice that he can't do it. So to, to which he answers ain't done an Efshar Mishi Efshar. Yeah, you're right. L'chadchila, I'm not saying that the proper prescribed methodology to dispose of Shemus is Shreifa. Of course not. That's not the Din. That's not how it's Kapaskind. That's not what you should do. But when you're not possible, when it's not possible, you have to do it this way. Now, I'll just tell you that in, in Eretz Yisrael, in the early 2000s, there was a huge mavucha about Seamus. There was a ton, ton of Seamus that wasn't being disposed of properly. It was being gathered and being brought to Seamus places, and they were finding that it was just like left, abandoned in a field, in, a, in rocks, in a cave. It wasn't being buried, it wasn't being taken care of. And this Shiloh was, was, was risen again. It was brought to Bayashiv that maybe the proper solution to Seamus it's to just burn it, and then, it's, and then, it, uh, then it wouldn't be a problem. Rabbi Yashiv, in his, it's quoted where it's in his say from Allah Munayach, where he brings that they found precedent that during the Holocaust, certain towns who already knew what their fate was going to be, as the Nazis were approaching, would go to their own shul, take out all their sefer and burn it before the Nazis got there. Because they knew that once the Nazis got there, they'll make sandals and lampshades out of sefer and to avoid that, they burnt it themselves. So there was precedent to be saimach on this shvos yakiv. You know, ain't done an efshir mishi efshir. It's not possible. You have, to, you have to do this. They went to Rabbi Yashiv with this precedent, with the truth of the shvos yakiv. And Rabbi Yashiv said that not only don't we pass him like the shvos yakiv, the people who during the Holocaust burnt their own sefer did the wrong thing. He says, tshuva they don't need. They had all of that that they could use. Tshuva they don't need. And it was a, a time of the efshir and you can't even down them. But Zichr Ladina, that's not the Din. And, and after that, they formed the whole new um, Vad for Shemus. There's a sefer called Ginzei HaKadosh by Yechaskel Fine... I think, not Yechaskel. Yeah, Yechaskel Feinhandler put out a sefer called Ginzei HaKadosh. In the English edition of Ginzei HaKadosh, in the back, there's a whole country about the formation 
of the Vad Hashemis, like in Eretz Yisrael, that, we, that was opened in light of this discussion, and all the different innovations, and what they fixed, and who the Rabbanim are, you can take a look there if you want to see. But in this Shavos Yaakov, this cool of the Shavos Yaakov, if you want to call it that, that allows Jews to burn their own svarim, it, it becomes relevant at different times of great need, like during the Holocaust, or when, when Shemus is found to be laying all about. Now, the Knesset Yechaskel writes with great derecherets and covet him back, and he says that, that it's, it's a toys what he's saying, he shows him many Gemaras, and you're missing off in a Gemaras, and it's not allowed, and v'chulu v'chulu, to which the Shev Shrakev writes back, sticking to his hetter, and b'chol even it exists. This machlik is the Shvuz Yaakov and the Knesset Zichaskel about allowing Jews to burn their own Shemus. Now, uh, an interesting time that I noticed it come up again, I, I found on, on Ritzar Chachma, in 2005, Ariel Sharon uh, announced the, that he was going to take all the Jews out of Gush Katef, right? He was going to we all remember that, uh, taking all the Jews out and, and etc. Now, the, the government asked the Rabbanut of Eretz Yisrael, the Shaila as follows. Uh, obviously, kicking Jews out of their homes and taking them out, that's Kipaskin. That they weren't asking. Which the writer of the Tshuva is baklocking Zich about, that they didn't ask him that. But they're taking the Jews out. Now the question is, there's going to be shuls that were left over in these communities and yeshivas that were left over in these communities. And, and heaven knows what the Arabs are going to come afterwards are going to do to be mavaza these that exist in, in the bush. Would it be permitted for the army to destroy these shuls on the way out? Take, you know, uh, uh, control the explosives and destroy the shuls so that at least the Arabs that come after don't destroy the shuls in, the, in a bizarre way. Now this is a tshuva. I found the whole country about it. And, uh, and in it, the, one of the primary... So first, the, 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 the Meshav discusses if breaking a shul is asa midir raisa, midir abbanon, if that's included in the sasing and the sham lekecha. And then he goes on to handle this shayla, and he brings this machlekes, the shvus Yaakov, and the knesset shichaskel. He says, according to the shvus Yaakov, that if you're worried that something halig is going to fall into, into disrepair and become, you know, mevuzah, he says, then the right thing to do is to destroy it yourself. So according to the Shavuz Yaakov, the IDF on their way out of the Gush Katif, should destroy all the shuls so that later on, you know, Arabs that come behind them shouldn't be able to destroy it. He pilfels it back and forth. And Tzim Saif, uh, he, he ends up saying, not like this, in light of what most Paiskim seem to hold, that the halachas like the Kassel that we don't destroy things to prevent them from maybe falling into, into greater bizarre and greater harm. Now, it's a line of tshuva, but it was just a very interesting application of this machlikis, that, that pops up again. Now, I'll just cover one more shayla quickly, and how much we get into one more shayla quickly about burning svarim, is as follows. The, there's a tshuva that was discussed. It, it started in Europe, but it made it to America later, where it seems in, in certain, like, uh, typhus wards, when people got typhus, they would put them in an isolation unit, in an isolation unit, and, and the rules of the isolation unit was that whatever would come in with the patient would not come out. On the way out, everything that came in was incinerated in order to prevent the, the spread of infectious diseases. I think that when Ebola became a thing in Africa, the infectious, the, the, the contained bio-containment like protocol is the same. You burn all the personal effects of the person who has it because it's an airborne thing and it attaches itself, you burn everything. Now, the Shiloh would be as follows. Someone who got typhus and was confined to a, to a bio-containment ward, could you bring him tefillin or svarim to, to wear? Well, tefillin is the biggest mistake. Svarim, okay. You don't have svarim, you don't have svarim. If you know some shnayis papel, learn some shnayis papel. If you don't, you're an anus. You don't have svarim, nothing you can do. Now, tefillin is a mitzvah saseh, you know. You can't be mekayim by just saying uh, pasuk in Kriyashma, like the mitzvah of Talmud Torah. So, should you bring a person tefillin into thing, and he's going to be there for a few weeks, he'll, he'll wear his tefillin every day, but ultimately you know that at the end of it, his tefillin will be burnt, it's going to be incinerated. 
Now here is a little more of a dachas the child than the child before this, because over here you're only responsible for burning the tefillin. Meaning, you know, realistically speaking, the minute you bring it in, it's as good as burnt, because it ain't coming out of there not burnt. So there's nothing you can do. You know that by bringing it in, you're already causing it to be burnt. But there's a certain element of, of distance over here where you yourself are not burning it. You're exposing it to the danger of getting burnt. And I guess you could tell yourself, who knows, maybe by the time in three weeks, the protocol for infectious diseases will change. They'll have a disinfectant spray that they'll use instead and you'll be able to get it out. Meaning it's not a, a sure thing on the same level as taking a match and lighting it to the corner of a safer. Now, the, the, there's a tshuva safer called Imre David from before the war where he writes that he was traveling uh, to the bathhouses in, uh, I forget where, uh, Riskovitz, I don't even know where that is. And he says the handlerai in the, in the bathhouse over there was what to do about people who get isolated in infectious disease wards, could you bring them to them? And he... He doesn't have an answer, but he brings a few Gemaras like this, a few Gemaras like that, some rice, the Khan, the Khan, and, and uh, he doesn't have a conclusive thing. Now, in, in Rav Moshe, Igris Moshe Chelek Aleph, or Chaim Chelek Aleph, Rav Hotner writes to Rav Moshe with the same Shaila. It's literally like from the first few Shailas of Igris Moshe. Or Chaim Chelek Aleph, Chuba Dalit, Rav Hotner writes to Rav Moshe asking the same question. Rav Moshe strongly feels that it's Asr to bring Tefillin into an isolation ward where it's going to lead it to be burnt. He paskins that it's Asr. Rav Hutner writes back, Rav Gifter writes a letter over there, others contribute, all with different riots, Lakana Lakan, to argue on, on Rav Moshe Tzach. Rav Moshe systematically goes through all of them and he stands, Hubishaloi, that to bring Tefillin into an isolation ward that's going to cause it to get burnt is Asr. It's the same thing. It's Bechlal, the, the Yid not burning Svarim, Bechlal Yenadin. Now, there's just one interesting Maramakim that I'm not going to have to go into all the Gemaras that they bring, but there's one interesting Maramakim that, that uh, someone, Rav David Singer, asks Rav from. It says there's a tshuva in the Ramah. It's tshuva Aleph in the Shat Ramah. It's a, it's a strange tshuva. We don't know, no one knows what it's referring to. But the Ramah writes about a story, he says, where he and other Rabbanim were forced to be Moitzi Shemra, about innocent people, in order to protect the town. It's, it's an, it's, he, he writes about Rikas that there's a story like this. It seems there was a group, there was a fight amongst two camps of Jews, and it was leading to government intervention that was going to lead to spiral out of control and have terrible ramifications, and the Rabbanim, the Ramah, amongst them, Paskin, to Bashmutz, a certain kvutz of the Yidin, to the Gayim, and say, it's very hard to glean the details, there is no, no one knows the details of what the Ramah is talking about, but in it, what he's writing is, that, that um, he had to be Moitzi Shemra, a whole kvutz of Jews, to prevent them from falling into the hands of the Gayim, and part of his rationale is, is that, uh, just like by a Saita, you're allowed to destroy the Pasha of the Torah in order to bring Shalom bias. so too I'm allowed to do the Isser of Moitzi Shemra in order to bring Shalom to Klai Yisrael. But in it he uses, the, the language that he uses is that you could be Ma'abid Sifri Kodesh B'yadayim to bring Shalom. So David Singer asks Ramayisha, from this Ramayisha you seem to see that in order to do a mitzvah, to accomplish a desirable goal, you're allowed to be Ma'abid Svarim B'yadayim. So in order for a guy to be able to wear tefillin, you should be able to bring the, 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 the tefillin into, into the isolation wards. So they should be able to wear it, even though it's even be a dime. To which Rav Moshe basically makes Chaim Tzvi's face and, uh, and, and, and does away with it. But it's an interesting tshuva, and, and nonetheless. Okay, thank you.